you, you know, I've really enjoyed this interview. Actually, it's been uh, it's been amazing. Actually, I've really enjoyed myself, and um, you actually genuinely listen, which is a rare thing, I think. Welcome to Morning Talk Show. Um, today, my conversation with Tahir Nasser. Tahir is from the um, publishing platform, YouTube channel um, known as Rational Religion. Um, I enjoy their, their channel. Um, it's, uh, it's basically um, an intellectual, philosophical, and spiritual discussion of religion from the perspective of their particular um, sect of Islam. So we get into that. I won't describe it too much, but uh, I just, uh, I really enjoyed this. I found Tahir to be open, um, honest, and very intelligent, and also just like a a person whose faith is very genuine. And so um, that's always interesting, you know, to to talk to someone like that. So um, please like and subscribe if you like this conversation or want to hear more. Definitely go over to Rational Religion, subscribe to their channel. They've got a lot of good content. They talk to people all over, um, all over the place. Anyone with an interesting perspective on um, religion and spirituality, um, they might talk to. They've talked to some some people that that I really enjoy. So um, here's my conversation with Tahir Nasser from Rational Religion. Sorry. It's okay. Oh no, I'm just rambling. You'd think these things in 2020 would be ironed out. You would just tell your computer, I, I want to talk to Tahir. And it would just say, would you like to record the audio? Yes. And you know, <laughs> you'd think we'd be doing that by now, but I you guess not. You should create not. that software. That, that yeah. would be a very popular software. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It, people would go nuts for it. Yeah, um, they would. So yeah, one of, uh, I was uh, hoping you would um, welcome Tahir Nasser. And I was wondering if you could briefly describe what Rational Religion is. I think of it as a YouTube channel, but there's a website and more. So could you describe it? Yeah, so it's basically an online platform. Um, to um, our, our tagline is making sense of spirituality. So we feel that there was a big gaping need for um, uh, a form of spirituality which, does not, uh, which reconciles the mind and the heart together. So in other words, everybody has a spiritual yearning, but in recent years, there's been such a kind of uh, drive to label and depict religious belief and religious thought and spiritual thought as irrational inherently. And atheism and agnosticism, uh, or even deism, as um, the more rational perspective. And we feel that this is most certainly not the case, that actually um, religious belief in and of itself, without going into different religions, Religious belief as a starting point and belief in God is actually the most rational position you can hold mm. and is the most evidence-based position you can hold. Right. Uh, and so that was really what we wanted to 
um, present to people. Uh, and we do that from our perspective as Ahmadi Muslims. So mm -hmm. um, we are part of the members of the Ahmadi Muslim community. Um, and our channel uh, is supported by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community as well. Um, and we present what we think is the, the true spirituality um, which leads to God. Mm. And so the founder of the Ahmadiyya, well, I'll give you a very brief summary so then it'll make more sense. Um, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, his name was Mirza Ghulam Ahmad. Mm -hmm. And he was born in 1835, died in 1908. And he claimed to fulfill the um, Islamic uh, prophecy of the Prophet Muhammad, which peace be upon him, which is that when um, Muslims would degenerate uh, in their spiritual practices and in their understanding of religious belief, mm -hmm. then a Messiah would be sent to them like Jesus was sent to the Jews. Mm. Right? And so okay. this, this is basically, and he basically claimed that said that I am that Messianic figure within Islam to bring Muslims and the whole world to the true face of religious belief. So we're presenting what we believe is the, the religion which brings together the heart and mind and the soul. Wow. Um, that's great. And um, it, it's really refreshing to hear religion um, spoken about. Like, I, I've just heard it so much spoken about from a Christian perspective that, I mean, uh, and I'm not even antagonistic towards it so much as just completely numb to it. Um, okay. So it's very interesting to hear uh, faithful people of, um, of the Muslim faith. And um, I can't, I, I don't think I can quite pronounce the name of the of the group yet it's all um, right give it a go <laughs> Ahmadiyya. <laughs> Ahmadiyya? that's fine that's absolutely okay. fine yeah, yeah okay that's it um yeah no really interesting and and really cool um it sounds like your um your founder um made some pretty some pretty bold and impressive claims and uh, and that you guys are um are trying to help uh, affirm those claims and that's cool i, I had a, actually the quote one of the quotes from one of the um one of the videos you guys had uh, about him was um, that experience trumps philosophizing. That was in the interview yeah. that you did with, um, I think that was when you were talking to Rupert Sheldrake. Yeah. Um, and then also um, the idea of proving God through revelation and experience that yeah. that was, that was one of his. Um, yeah. I mean, basically, basically he, he basically said that, look, you can, and, and he, you know, his, majority of his claims fell within the late 19th century um early 20th century which is probably mm -hmm. i would say an even more atheistic time than now when it comes to uh, philosophical thought mm. right? i'm not yeah. talking about how many people are believers i'm talking about actually philosophical thought right so at that point in time the top scientists believed the universe was eternal the top scientists believed that um there was random processes which led to you know, or what evolution of all biological forms that we have today, which is mm. still partly the case. Um, and there was the belief that human beings were nothing more than machines. Mm. Um, and kind of the discoveries of the Big Bang, molecular biology, and um, how evolution can or cannot happen. Um, it certainly does happen in our perspective, but not through Darwinian processes. Mm. Um, that kind of has undermined it throughout the 20th century. So he came at a time which was most atheistic in his thought. And he basically argued that look, you've got all of these religions that claim that God spoke to Abraham and Moses and Jesus and Muhammad, peace be upon him, and Buddha and Zoroaster and Socrates and Lao Tzu and, you know, etc. And he basically said that, why is it that there is no religion today that can bring you back into and give you those experiences today? 
And he mm. said that a religion that teaches you, this is, this is his main philosophy, which is that a religion that teaches you that God has spoken in the past but no longer speaks is a religion that ultimately can't lead you to that God. Right. And that a religion that is based on only fables and stories about what he did in the past is actually a form of idolatry. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, this is one of the things I love about uh, your channel and you guys is that you say these things that are kind of on my mind and that I've been tunneling away towards. And, you know, uh, culturally, we're tunneling away from maybe a slightly different perspectives, but uh, there's such a consonance. Yeah, there's such a consonance there. That idea of revelation um, is on my mind constantly. You know, if God doesn't say anything new now, and it's said that's spoken, um, that's spoken wordlessly, I guess, by, by much even religion now. That's oh, what, yeah, yeah, Man, that's, by mainstream religious belief, which is have faith yeah. and accept it, and, you know, you'll find out after death. Whereas yeah. in the Islamic, in the Ahmadiyya Islamic perspective, if, you're, if you don't find out in this life, you're not going to find out in the afterlife, because the afterlife yeah. is a reflection of your life now. Right, yeah, you'll, you'll at least get glimpses of these things. And, yeah, no, I, I'm, uh, I'm very much um, pleased to hear these things and nice to hear them kind of confirmed uh, through your channel. So, um, Thank you for so that. He, so he wrote this book called Philosophy of the Teachings of Islam. It's a very short mm -hmm. book. Um, it'll only take you four hours to read, I know, because I read it for an audiobook. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a groundbreaking book because it lays out the entire philosophy of Islam. And that is really, I think, the best book for kind of introducing people to this particular strain of idea. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to read it. Um, so uh, I guess I'll move on to my next question here. Um, as I said to you in the emails, I'm not used to working from questions. So this is a fun experiment for me. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's fine. Um, you can probably tell that what the way my brain works is when people talk, ideas are kind of forming and I just, and, and typically fill an hour that way. <laughs> well, no, if you, if you want to, that's, you know, I don't mind that as long as, you know. Well, no, I. If you want to do it like that, that's absolutely fine. You know, well, but, uh, no, I'm, I'm interested to try the, to try the question thing. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll turn out to be something I enjoy. So I'll experiment. Okay, cool. So appreciate that. Cool. So one of them was what, what, uh, your earliest memory of religion, uh, would be, or, or kind of your, your early memories of religious experience. Like, I guess to add to that, were you, were you a part of this, um, strain of of islam from the beginning or did your family convert that way or did you so, personally so, or so my grandfather accepted this this form of islam and um we're very much persecuted by the sunni muslim community in mm. certain countries i wouldn't say widespread i have sunni muslim friends here in the uk mm. um but governments and institutions for example in pakistan it's illegal to call yourself a muslim if you're an Ahmadi muslim mm. so they okay. they well, you have to put on your passport Every person who applies for a passport has to sign a declaration saying that they believe that the founder of our community is a liar. And if you don't sign that, you will be designated as an Ahmadi, in which case, for example, you can't go to the Hajj with that passport because the Saudi, in Saudi Arabia, you're banned. You're not regarded, we're not regarded as Muslims. Huh. And the reason for that is because, you know, they have this belief that revelation has ceased and that God mm. will stop, has stopped speaking and there's no such thing as prophet anymore. Right. Whereas we believe that God can never stop speaking because this mm. is his means of communicating with us. Yeah. Um, we only believe that the, the, though the final law and the final teaching of Islam has been perfected, um, you know, God will continue reminding humanity to come back to that. 
In terms of my earliest experience uh, or my earliest memory of uh, Islam Ahmadiyya, um, it would probably be trying to avoid doing my prayers. <laughs> In <laughs> yeah. all honesty, Can relate um, to that. that's probably my earliest memory. And then I did something rather naughty at about age 11. Mm-hmm. And um, my parents basically grounded me for a week. Mm-hmm. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I had no reason now to, you know, effectively pretend like I was praying because I was going to be, I was going to be in my room anyway. Right. Um, you know, that didn't make, it didn't make, make a difference. I was going to be, I was going to be in my room for the next seven days. And yeah. so I decided to pray and I read uh, the philosophy of the teachings of Islam when I was 11. Mm. Uh, since then I've read it probably about 15 times. Wow. Um, and you know, that changed, that book changed my life actually. Um, wow, so. And that's when I properly started praying about that age then. And yeah. that really, that's my earliest real memory in terms of, you yeah. know, actual experience. And yeah, it was an following. effective, an effective punishment then, I guess. Wow. It, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's great. Um, yeah. I've definitely had, I've definitely had a lot of that kind of thing in my life. It, 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 sorry, it, sorry if, it wasn't actually um, something naughty that I per se done. I mean, we, one of the things we believe in is that, um, you know, one of the main means by which God communicates with, with people is through their, through true dreams. And this is found throughout the old Testament, new Testament, the Quran and other religions as well. And, um, we, 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 we experience it that God will tell, will often communicate something to us. Sometimes it's with respect to a future matter, a future event, and it will be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, and other times it's just about, uh, information. And, um, my mother actually had a dream about me when I was 11 that I wasn't, uh, um, going down the right path in life. And so the next time I did something even slightly naughty, that's when she grounded me. Mm. So if I had just done that thing, she hadn't had that dream. She wouldn't have ever grounded me. She said, well, she says, okay. Um, so it's actually because she was worried because of that dream that she'd had saying I wasn't going down the right path right. that, um, she grounded me and that's what actually changed my life around. And really what I think changed my life around was her prayers. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, prayer. I mean, to just uh, talk a little bit about myself. Um, yes, please. I, um, I'm from, as I said, the Christian, I'm from the Christian tradition. I still identify as a Christian, but um, I, uh, around the time my children were born, uh, not shockingly, I had this, um, I, I kind of had a spiritual experience um, that uh, um was accompanied it, it wasn't a dream it was it was one of the, uh, the only times in my in my life that something uh profound has happened suddenly in waking life that um that led to what appears to be kind of a permanent uh change in me and and the whole the whole message i felt that god was giving me and i don't i i haven't talked about this yet actually on the podcast so i don't want to imply that i know what that I understand this experience fully or that I know it was God or anything like that. But what it seemed like was God was telling me to go, to go away from my religion in kind of a, um, in a protected way where um, I, I immediately had this a, a accompanying ability to kind of follow uh, some of my thoughts in a new way um, to follow them down a, a further, much further than I was able to before. And my, my mm. sort of ability to, philosophize but in a way that was life giving that was that was um impactful and changed my behavior and 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 made me begin to um love my family more and to to care 
support humans more and, and all of that. Um, all of that capacity uh, seemed kind of unleashed when I had this freedom to question and to, to mm. go and change, which is something that I feel um, your channel does a good job of is questioning Thank and you. thinking and really interrogating these ideas. And so um, what I, what I, you can, you can tell me your perspective on this, but um, after a, a year or two of, these intense, um, anytime I was alone, basically like anytime I was alone, walking somewhere on the train, in the car, um, I was having these, what felt like dialogues in a way, but they were really philosophical. And I didn't begin with any of the, you know, dear Jesus or heavenly father, or the things I was supposed to say, but like, I'm surprised it took me this long to figure this out, but it, it began to feel that like that was my prayer life. Um, because there was a, and, and, and you can, you can weigh in on this, but it, there was an honesty to it. There was a real honesty and a desire to love more and to understand human beings. And it wasn't initially, it wasn't always, um, using the name of God in what I was, was doing, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it felt like that was, it felt like that was my prayer life. And then as I, um, as I, uh, engaged in it more, I started to actually intentionally think of it as, as prayer, which I think only deepened it. And so, um, I guess I'm wondering what your thoughts are on prayer that isn't prayer. Do you know what I mean? That prayer that doesn't have the, um, doesn't have all the trappings that maybe we're taught about prayer. So like, so in the Islamic tradition, we're taught a kind of a ritual prayer, which you'd mm. have seen like standing, bowing, prostrating. Mm. Um, when you learn it and you start doing it, uh, it becomes second nature. So it's no longer a ritual. It's kind of like an ingrained movement. And so people after I begin, I'm beginning with my answer to you with that, because people see that ritual prayer and they think to themselves very formulaic, but actually it's not, it's actually because it becomes so ingrained, it becomes natural and the movements themselves uh, put your mind into different states. So for example, and this is one of the things he talks about philosophy of the teachings of Islam, which is that the physical postures of your body affect the state of your soul, mm. which is why in Islam there's the prostration, mm. that prostration, the bowing, the standing humbly, etc., mm -hmm. the kneeling. Mm -hmm. um, these are all universal movements in prayer. Mm. And I would say that in answer to your question as to what do you think about prayer that isn't formulaically prayer, um, you know, even, uh, even in, in a way, even just a single word or a syllable can be a prayer because, you know, God actually is not looking at the outward form continuously. He's actually looking at what those represent to you. Mm. And in, in prayer, I found, and this is again, one of the things that is taught now in our, in my faith belief, which is that that prayer, which affects the human soul the most is actually the prayer that's going to affect God the most. Mm. And, um, even if that be something which is, um, completely almost addressing God, almost like a, it, what other people would consider irreverent. So a great mm -hmm. example is the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he narrated a story. It's a very famous hadith, it means a narration of the Prophet of Islam, in which he said that Moses was once passing by a shepherd who was tending to his flock and the shepherd was kneeling in prayer. And he was out loud praying. He was saying, oh God, if I meet you, I will wash your feet. And if I meet you, I'll pick the lice out of your hair and I'll, I'll clean the dirt from under your nails and um, I'll wash your face and things like that. And Moses said to him, what's wrong with you? 
you know, God isn't a man like you that you should wash his feet and his nose and mm. his hair. And he said, and the prophet Muhammad said, at that very moment, God intervened and spoke to Moses and says, what are you doing getting between me and my servant? Mm. I was enjoying that kind of his prayer so much and you've now put him off, right? Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So, 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 so yeah, that's been rejecting a formulaic or prescribed idea. Yes. So if I hear you correctly, then uh, you're kind of saying that the, the physical manifestations of prayer that we have seen in the, in the Islamic faith and even somewhat in other faiths or many other faiths actually is more for the, um, is more for the sake of the, of the prayer um, rather than like more to, to, to get you to a state of, of honesty with God rather than, um, rather than to, yeah, to, it's not, yeah, it's not a superstitious thing is the point. No, no, no. If you don't do there's it a wisdom. properly. There's a yeah. wisdom to it. I mean, and if you, if you're not praying in that formulaic ritualistic way in the formal prayer mm. in Islam, you're meant to be talking to God all day long. So before right. you do any action, you're meant to say Bismillah, which means in the name of Allah. Mm. Um, when you f- begin eating, you say, um, you say, uh, you know, you, you thank God for, for, for giving you that food. When you finish, you say, thank you, God, for giving me that food. When you step into yeah. a car on a journey, you right. pray to God. There's a prayer for that. When you get off the journey, you know, there's a prayer for, you know, going up a hill, walking down a hill. There's literally right. every state of your moment should actually be a conversation with God. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's interesting. Um, yeah, in terms of turning God into a human, or you know, thinking of the washing your fingernails and all of that, or um, that's that's something that's also been on my mind, which is this idea that um, that God. I mean, and and my notions of God. I've, I guess I've I've reduced the number of things at this point in my life. I've reduced the number of things that I believe by a huge amount, not because uh, hopefully not in a self righteous way, not in, not with the intention of even not with the intention of never believing them again, just with the intention of at, at this point, I, I was being false in saying I believe this or that and trying to be as few things as possible. But um, it's difficult. Yeah, it's difficult not to anthropomorphize God. And I like the idea in the story of, of saying um, that it, it, wasn't, it wasn't wrong for this man to be um, thinking of God as the type of being that he, was most familiar with and trying to be trying to have reverence. Yeah, um, exactly. In, in the place that he was at. And maybe there is a trans, maybe there is a, a state of transcendence where you can love God without God have, without thinking of God as being so human like, but you know, you know, but people need to be in the place that they're at. Um, Absolutely. I mean, you look at the Bible, you look at the Quran, you know, God still refers at certain verses in the Quran, for example, although God says, which means there's nothing like him right? There's nothing in, is, is comparable to him, nothing in his same form. Uh, yet God speaks of himself as having hands, you know, with, right. you know, you know, I created the heavens and the earth with my two hands. It says, yeah. um, you know, it's also said narrated in some sayings, of the prophet Muhammad, that God laughed, um, right. you know, when he heard his servant saying a particular thing. Um, and the same thing within the Bible, it talks about God creating with his hands. Right. right? Yeah. So, so these are metaphors to help us understand it's just right. but that's what they are right fair enough yeah awesome um so um i guess we're talking about the varieties of prayer experience um uh, another question i had was was um about religious experience and and what that kind of looks like um in, in your mind like what 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 kind of um 
distinguishes something as being a religious experience? So this is a really good question because I've met people from, I've met people who are religious who will say to me, who said to me, I had a good friend at school who said to me, I, I think God wants me to go to this particular university. I was like, okay, well, why? And he goes, well, you know, I just, I just feel like that's what God wants me to do. And he told me. And I said, okay, he told you. Wow, like, how, like what did he say? And he was like, well, it was just like a really, when I boil it down, although he was using the words of he told me and God revealed this to me in a very religious language, it boiled down to I had a very strong feeling. Mm. Um, now, I personally think that could simply be a psychological phenomenon. To, be, to put it bluntly, it could be a psychological phenomenon. Yeah. Um, so to know how God communicates with people, I mean, the Quran is very clear. It says there are, there are only a few ways by which God communicates with a human being. And these are standard through all, and you can see these in all religious texts, Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, right? And others, which is that God reveals something through a true dream. Now that's the most basic form, right? That's where you have a religious experience through your dreams. Um, so it's not, that's not to say every dream you have is from God, obviously right. not. Most dreams you have, 99% are going to be just your own, you know, thinking yeah. about it. Mm -hmm. but, but sometimes you have a dream which, in which information is conveyed to you. Mm. And its difference is both in its clarity, right? And also that it gives, it's a coherent message. And, it, and most importantly, it's fulfilled, mm. right? So what it tells you is then fulfilled. Um, the, another form of, of that's, that's, a low, that's a normal, it's a very ordinary form of, of, of communication from God. A higher spiritual form is when you're awake and God uh, shows you a vision. Mm. Visually, you are transported. You're awake mm. and this happens. And then the highest form is really where God directly speaks to you, mm. um, which is obviously something which, in reality, very, very few humans ever get to experience. Um, but the distinction of the Ahmadiyya Muslim faith and what we claim is that, and this is for people to verify themselves, mm. is that when you accept the messenger whom God has sent for your guidance, then God manifests himself in these ways to a much higher degree mm. and much more abundantly because that, and that makes sense. I mean, if God sends somebody for your guidance and you reject him, God's not going to talk to you mm. as much as if somebody, you know, who accepted him. Mm. And if you go on our YouTube channel and you type in um, signs of the living faith, mm -hmm. you'll see four videos by a African American brother by the name of Hamza Elias. And he narrates his own experiences in that regard he's a he was a convert he was a christian from baptist family and became an ahmadi muslim mm. and he's a person who's had you know so many extraordinary experiences mm. um i will look at that up yeah for sure i think i've actually watched one or two of his videos i've been watching for a while so that sounds familiar he, he's on your channel that's right he is yeah yeah okay then i have yeah for sure um but um okay well that's that's really interesting um that you have such specific um uh, ways that God speaks to us. Um, I wonder if there's room for, um, well, I mean, I guess, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that there are, you know, there, there are the echoes of God in, in nature and in others and in wisdom and all of that kind of thing. Um, in they a, are absolutely. Um, you're, you're, uh, these are just the ways that it, if God's directly, uh, yes. contacting you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, fair enough. And you know, it, it's weird because I, I think that uh, I have noticed uh, since, I don't know, yeah, it wasn't directly an audible voice at the time that I was referring to um, when I had this, um, this experience that I had, and, and, and maybe it was or wasn't God, but uh, what, I think what 
what set it apart and what sets apart the dreams that I've had that have felt significant and felt spiritual is that they do, yeah, they do have a confirming, uh, effect. Like they, they connect with, uh, things that have, they, they connect with kind of cloudy things that have been unformed in, in, in yourself. And then they form connections. Um, like, uh, I think of, um, the, the Holy Trinity, you're probably familiar with the idea of the Holy Trinity in Christianity. Um, and I don't know what I, I don't know what I think about the reality of the Holy Trinity, except that, um, uh, for a, a time in my life, uh, and I'm getting more explicit with my spiritual side than I normally do on, on here because this is kind of the nature of the conversation. But in yeah. my, in my life, I experienced a, a period of, um, of leading the music at my church. And, uh, I, was uh, faith-wise at a, a, a at a very strange place. Just so much dissonance in my mind with my faith, and um, it was uh, my my prayer uh, was that the Holy Spirit, uh, that member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, would uh, would basically be present, would be noticeable, would be um, something I could enter into or experience when I went up on stage because the last thing I wanted to do was be false. Like I had, amongst all of the confusion, my main desire was not to be false. Yeah. Understood. In the way that I displayed myself to human beings. And I experienced that. I mean, what, who who knows, but it it felt to me like there was a, a change you know, yeah. in intentionally inviting, um, the spirit of God, there was a difference. I was, I, I, I would step onto the stage that we had and would feel that it happened. So I began to sort of characterize, uh, one of the aspects of God as, um, that which connects the, um, the seemingly un, unconnectable, that which unites the ununitable or the, the things that seem separate in, in my mind, that which brings them together. Um, mm. And, well, that's actually um, an attribute of God in Islam. It's as-salam, which means salam. the source. As-salam, which means the source of reconciliation or peace. Right. Um, and and so that's that was one of the ways I was experiencing God during that time, or uh, or I felt that I was experiencing God. You know, I'd go away. That was the weird thing. Is I I would kind of go away, and it would, it would it would go away again. It was like a it was like a little taste or something. And um, uh, so I guess, yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly what I'm trying to say, except for that, um, except for that I've had some of these experiences you're talking about, these religious experiences uh, or, or of, of God, um, and that there's a, a kind of a, one of the ways that I've started to accept their legitimacy in any way is that they they crystallize a thought or they, they have an associated, it's not a feeling exactly. There's a, there's feeling associated, but there's, there's kind of enough of a, uh, of a meaning and a, um, a, a relevance to what's going on that you, man, I don't know how to say this, that it, it feels like religious or not, it, you can, you can understand it and, and you can feel the impact of it and it helps you. And then the reason that you would can, the reason that you may want to co- categorize it as religious is strictly for maybe the searching for the ability to get that again. You know what I mean? Mm. Like so, so the meaning is there, and you, you don't. It's a for me. It's been re- very refreshing for a little while, anyway. Not to say 
oh, this definitely had to be God and throw it into that kind of questioning like, oh, did it have all of the right um, properties <laughs> of a religious experience, you know, like and really putting it in my head. But it was like, well, it actually brought it actually brought with it the solution to a problem or it brought yes. with it a clarity or something like that. And it's like, okay, mm. I could take that clarity and go away. And I don't know how I feel about entering back into a more religious life. I'm drawn towards it and I'm questioning, but I think the thing that does pull you towards religion in that is that, okay, if, if this was, it, could religion possibly help me more reliably get this experience of meaning and does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah, I think, I think, I think so. I mean, a lot of people don't like religion because it's formulaic, and yeah. also because it has. Uh, well, they think it's formulaic, and also I think the thing that drives people away from religion more than anything else is the sense that they will be held accountable. And mm. I'd think say that's probably the biggest driver of uh, people towards atheism. Mm. Um, they basically they realize that hold on a second when you join a religion you subscribe to the belief that you'll be held accountable for your deeds mm. now, now some as some uh, some atheists have put, uh, some religious believers have put it um you know some people yearn for accountability and other people shun it and that tells mm. you a little bit about them <laughs> right some people some people want the world to be held accountable because right. they're upset about the state of the world and the injustices right. that have been committed. And right. then you have those people who, who don't want to be held accountable, perhaps because they're right. committing certain things that they don't want to be held accountable for. Right. And I think that's a very deep psychological driver of movement away from religion, but also moving towards religion. Mm. Um, in terms of uh, religious belief being a means of connecting you with God, I mean, the, one of the things I love about Islam personally is that it's the only religion in the world which you have to acknowledge as an article of faith, otherwise you can't be a Muslim, that every other religion has also come from God. Mm. So, you know, I can't be a Muslim if I say that Jesus wasn't from God. I'm immediately mm. outside of Islam. Ah, I did not know that. Yeah, so because the, the, the view in Islam is that this is the final teaching sent to mankind and that all previous religions were regional. They were for a limited time and for a limited people. So, mm. you know, Moses came for the slaves of the children of Israel. Um, Jesus came for the children of Israel. Uh, Krishna or you know Rama they came for the people living around the Indus River they became the Hindu religion mm. um, it, and Socrates came for the Athenians etc yeah. so you know our belief is that and it says in the Quran God says that there is no people to whom a warner a, you know a, a prophet has not been sent mm. so every people have had their teaching Interesting. but it says that this is that final religion because it's that final religion it has to acknowledge the truth of every other religion other religions didn't have to do that because they weren't involved with preaching to other people. Mm. Right. Interesting. So, so from the perspective of is a religious teaching, um, you know, the means by which you can, can it be the means by which you can connect to God? I think it's very important. It comes back to kind of the ways of prayer, the means of prayer and the, the way it looks when you pray. Mm. Um, and I'll link it in this way that the nice thing I think about Islam is that it acknowledges the religious traditions of other faiths. Mm. and even the formulaic prayer that you do it actually incorporates within it the movements in every other religion so christians kneel buddhists prostrate mm. um, other people might stand islam has every one of these and the reason for that is is to tell people from other faiths that this religion of islam is not different to your religion it's an mm. expansion of your religion okay right so it's not mm. like you have to reject jesus to become a muslim mm. right on the contrary, you have to actually accept what we believe is his 
true message, which was that he was a humble human being who sought to guide people to God, mm. right? Not God himself. Mm. Um, so I think religion most certainly is the most potent force for leading you to God because you have to ask the question, and this is, again, it comes back to the philosophy of the teachings of Islam. One of the points he makes in that Mirza Allah Mahabad, he says that if God is a thing that you have to disinter from the earth yourself, mm. right, through your own efforts, then he is not actually worth finding. Right. Yeah. That God should be believed in who reveals himself, mm. yeah. who manifests himself. Who, and so you have to ask the question, if God has sent all these prophets in the past, all these people, then surely the best way to God is by following the path that he himself told you to follow. <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, so this is what baffles me about some people. They're like, well, I'm spiritual, right? And um, I want to get to God. Oh, but I hate organized religion. Right. It's like, well, well, hold on a second. Everything you've learned about your spirituality, whether it be prayer or fasting or meditation or self-reflection or doing good deeds or charity, mm. where did you learn all these things from? Right. You know, you may think you just got them from the cultural ether, but the cultural mm. ether got it from the religious traditions in your society. Right. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that's very frustrating to, um, uh, to atheists and, and people who, like you say, are uh, spiritual but not religious is that it's so complicated and difficult to uh, disentangle yourself from uh, the culture and the, the language that has been created in your head around uh, spirituality and prayer and all of that, that, that has, is almost always yeah, linked back to, um, to a religious teaching. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. So, so you're kind of saying there's a universality to Islam. It's, it, it's kind of, it can be an overarching um, kind of yeah and 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 that's that's actually what the founder of the Ahmadiyya muslim community emphasized he said that my mission has i've come to introduce the whole world to islam now mm. and he said that my mission is to spread the message of islam without gun without sword without any hint of violence so the mm. motto of our community is love for all hatred for none right um and the aim of our community is to show people that actually exactly what i said earlier islam is not um the rejection of their faith it's actually mm -hmm. the expansion of their faith so that they don't just believe in jesus they also believe right. in buddha they also right. believe in krishna they also believe in muhammad right, right? Well, it, yeah um well that's fascinating and it it does feel to me like there's something happening i'm, I'm always scared to say that things are unique in in this time period because i'm not enough of a historian to uh to know that um, but there definitely must be things that are unique in this time period. And one of them that kind of uh, strikes me is that um, there does seem to be a great unraveling of, of a lot of different threads um, of, of belief, you know, like uh, there's kind of a, um, yeah, there, there does seem to be a, a big change happening, a kind of a secularization, but then at the same time, a, uh, a yearning for um, spiritual practice and, and you have things like yoga um, that, you know, uh, kind of mimic spiritual practice in a way and that kind of thing. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be bold here. And um, I've been thinking about this for a while. I personally think religion is making a massive comeback. Okay. And that in the course of my life, we'll see a massive shift um, back towards religion. Um, I don't know whether you know, but maybe you've seen it. I'm not sure you have. It's very recent. We put a video out on um, an interview with a guy called Nick Spencer. I think it's one of the ones I haven't watched yet. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really worth watching. So he, he, he wrote a book called 
um, atheists the origin of the species. So he basically charts the, the development of atheism in, in Europe. And one of the key messages that come across from his uh, analysis of history is that atheism always burgeons and flowers um, whenever religious believers behave in an oppressive fashion. Mm. And then atheism effectively becomes a weapon against oppression right. and a manifestation against it. So he casts the development of atheism in Europe to happen, have happened immediately after the wars of the religious wars of Europe, the wars of religion in Europe, mm. which killed, which killed like a third of the population right. of Germany. Yeah. And he, again, he again associates the period of the new atheism to what happened after nine 11. Mm. And he sees 9-11 as the flashpoint for mm. new atheism and the growth right. of new atheism. Right. But if, if you look at what's happening in the kind of cultural milieu now, is there's a massive shift away from Richard Dawkins. He's regarded as a kind, yeah. of, fossil, a, a kind of fossil now. Um, and there's a massive shift yeah. away from new atheism. And you even have people like Sam Harris now who are advocating meditation, for example. Yeah. And believing in like panpsychism, which is something we discussed in the interview with Rupert Sheldrake. Right, um, yeah which is that there's a slide that, you know, back towards kind yeah. of religious belief. So it's, they've been running against the bungee cord and now it's kind of starting <laughs> to pull them back. Uh, and, and yeah, where I was getting at though, actually was uh, about this, this time period. And I said this in another interview, it's just a, it's kind of a, um, uh, a picture that's been forming in my mind of, um, I always thought when, when people were ready to kind of change and transcend, that it would be like Star Trek, you know, like they'd meet a, they'd meet a race that had transcended and they would all be like wearing beautiful outfits. They'd all be gorgeous. And they had reached this higher level of, I'm not thinking of a specific episode, but they'd reached this higher level. But it actually feels more like to me, like we're a big tribe of people, um, like the earth in general, especially with the internet uniting us all. We're like this giant disorganized tribe who's kind of in general been, um, uh, well, I don't know, has been getting our, our nourishment from a, a certain way of life or a certain way of, of religion specifically, a certain kind of dogmatic, very, uh, a, and, and we need a change. Uh, and we do, we do have a desire for that change. And I think the change is to, I think maybe we need, we, we need some kind of change, like, like a, a tribe that goes from a, uh, a tribe that goes from maybe, a, a um, what do you call it? Agrarian to a nomadic tribe or something. And the kinds of conversations that happen would happen in reality in those. It wouldn't be a matter of everyone, you know, meeting together and in with one voice saying, we need to do this. It would be like, there would be the farmer who would say, no, this has worked for years and we need to keep it. Uh, and then there would be the person, the revolutionary who would say, no, no, we need to immediately pack up our things and start moving with the herds of caribou or whatever. Um, and that's kind of how it feels like it feels like the, you know, cause, cause the actual, the actual stakes, I think we know, like, I think in general, we know that there are, are pretty big stakes to, um, I don't know how, how we respond, how we move forward. And I think there's a lot of, um, splitting off and, and kind of tr tribalism and that kind of thing going on right now. But I, I, at the end of the day, I think all of it is motivated you know, there, it's not nihilism, uh, you know, it, it's, it's something we need to change, you know, and, and I think we're going that direction. And so you could be, you could be very right that, that we're going to experience a, a huge upsurge of religion of some kind, like, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go on, finish, finish what you're saying. Um, 
yeah, I mean, it, it could be right that religion is something that that will spring forth because it, you certainly, it certainly does seem clear that people are seeking out um, ritual and um, and spiritual experience, even those who don't describe themselves as spiritual at all. I just spoke with um, I just spoke with a, a Satanist um, actually for my podcast, uh, and uh, and they have he's involved in an organization that has uh, practices, you know. They have rituals and ceremonies, and they don't believe they're actually non-theistic atheists. So they don't believe in in yeah, Satan. I know, I know, right? Yeah, they're they're not non-theistic Satan's in this. Sorry, I don't mean atheists. It's it's a brand more than a belief. Yeah, there's. I mean, um, I, I certainly I certainly find it fascinating. But uh, um, anyway, I'm just saying that, like, if if mm. if if everyone is looking for these practices, then if there is something in the air. So maybe this maybe it is going to be a return to religion. It's not a question. I just I I was thinking. Yeah, that's based no on what you were no saying. Problem. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, awesome. So um, let me just look at my questions here for a second. Oh, I'm a real interviewer now. I have questions. Um, so, uh, I, uh, okay. So, uh, how about the? What about the mythological nature of um, uh, of the Quran? One of the things we have in you know one of the big splits in Christianity is just how is over just how um, mythological or factually true, his, historically true, poetic language, just what is the Bible and what is it in its various different um, sections and the various different, like, you know, there's this theory of the disappearing God where at the very beginning of the Bible, God is walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. And by the end, God is, is physically absent and more, uh, you know, um, in, internalized um, sure. psychologically. Um, where do you where does the Quran sit with that for you? Um, yeah. So you know, beginning with the nature of God, should we begin with that because I think sure. that's the most that's the most important thing. Um, God is defined in the Quran, um, probably I'd say best in two chapters, uh, one right at the beginning and one right at the end. Mm. Um, so the opening chapter of the Quran gives the words. Um, it, it's like it's it's basically the prayer the most important prayer in islam is called the surah fatiha fatiha means the opening so it's the opening of the book it's only seven verses and we regard it as you know god's gift to mankind the perfect prayer which will connect man to god undoubtedly okay. if it's used and the words of the the words of the of the of the prayer introduce god in the beginning okay so it says um in the name of Allah, the gracious merciful i'll, read, I'll give you the translation there's no point sure. in the arabic um uh, every kind of praiseworthy, um, every kind of praise, every kind of praise, belongs and returns only to Allah. Right? I'm giving you the long form translation. The sure. simple translation is all praise belongs to Allah. But actually, the the true translation of the Arabic means every time of praise, both um, uh, active and passive. So God both gives praise perfectly and also receives perfect praise. Okay. Um, be- belongs only to God. Um, belongs only to Allah. Mm. What that basically means is um, that everything that you see in life, which you think is beautiful, whether it be the sunset or, you know, um, uh, beautiful scenery or the love you have for your wife or your or the love a woman has for her husband or the love you have for your children or, you know, every kind of beautiful thing you have in your life is actually only a reflection of God's attribute. Mm. It has its origin in God. That's what it means. And in no one else. Right. 
And then it says, so that's the primary definition of God. And then it gives four attributes of God. It says he is the, um, the developer, the sustainer and nourisher of every realm of existence. And then it says it is, he is the one who is Rahman, which means the one who gives you gifts which you didn't even know you had a need for, let mm-hmm. alone deserve. So like the sun, the moon, the ecosystem, the water cycle, the carbon dioxide cycle. Then he is the one who gives you um, reward in accordance with your efforts. Mm-hmm. So that, that attribute is only applicable to humans. Everything else is applicable to inanimate and animate life. Mm. And then the last one is, and the Maliki Omidin, which is, he is the, it's translated loosely as the master of the day of judgment. But what it means is, is that he has perfect power over uh, every recompense, every re- end, re- end result of your actions. Mm. Okay. So, so the important thing to note here is that in terms of the abstraction of God, I mean, the Christian tradition, God is literally embodied within the, within the being of Christ. In, in the Islamic tradition, God is described by his attributes. Mm. Okay. And the idea is that you get closer to God by imitating his attributes. Mm. And that, that is actually the closest form of nearness you can have to anything because mm. that is the closeness of being. So I could be, we're talking right now and you and I are conversing. And in a sense, we have become near to each other by communication. If I was to sit next to you, I would be near to you in physical body. Mm. Um, two people who love each other are near each other as well but Mm. the closest type of being is to become like something else Mm. as far as is possible so that's the kind of that is how god is known is known through his attributes in islam not through any Mm. kind of you know physicality okay Um, in terms of the mythological nature of the quran like when do you take something to be a metaphor and when do you take it to be literal which is i think kind of what you are particularly yeah, I mean, I, I'd like it to be open enough that if it spurs you to a different interpretation, even of the question, you, you, you go with it. But, no, I, think, yeah, I think I thought that was kind of what you were in particular. Yeah. I've got, I mean, it's basically that, you know, is it a literal book or a metaphorical book or both? Sure. It, um, and I realize it's maybe not a simple thing to answer. It's not a yes or no, but interested in your thoughts. So, so the Quran answers this. It gives a really simple answer. It's in chapter three, verses seven to nine. Uh, well, chapter 3 verse 7 according to one numbering system chapter 3 verse 8 according to another one um, and it says that there are two types of verses in this book there are verses that are clear and decisive in meaning there's no ambiguity about them they're obvious okay so like um a verse like that would be that um it says in the quran there is no compulsion in religion mm. okay so there's no compulsion in religion it's a categorical statement okay mm. there are no caveats given etc etc mm. right um, then it says the second type of verse in the book are contextual, right? Mm. They could, they're, they're known as mutashabihat in Arabic, which means they're susceptible of different interpretations. You could read okay. them this way, you could read them that way. And it says in the Quran, in the same verse, it says, those who have perversity in their hearts, those who are perverse in their nature and their understanding, and they want to impose their particular meaning on a particular verse of the Quran, they take that which is susceptible of different interpretations and they interpret it in a way which makes it contradict those verses that are clear and obvious in meaning. Okay. Right? right. So what they, what they do is they, they impose a meaning on the metaphorical verses or the interpretative verses. Right. And, and, they make, and they make them dominant over verses that could not have any other interpretation. Okay. And they, they cause contradiction. Right. And then it says, God and those who are grounded in knowledge, who have real knowledge of the book, they say the whole of the Quran is from our Lord. 
the mm. whole of the Quran is from God and we have to interpret everything in consonance right. with each other. So I, I'll give you an example to make it more, more embodied. So the, 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 the verse which is clear and obvious in meaning is there is no compulsion in religion. Mm. But the Quran also talks about how the Prophet Muhammad had to go to war to defend himself mm. and his faith and the fact that his followers were being butchered by idolaters. And there are certain verses of the Quran that talk about the state of warfare between Muslims and non-Muslims because the Muslims had become so kind of meek and mild after 13 years of persecution being told don't fight. They actually were reticent and they didn't want to fight, mm. many of them. And it says in the Quran that your hearts shirk from fighting, mm. whereas actually your lives and your faith and your entire belief in God, it depends on it now. Mm. You have to take up arms for self-defense. Mm. And so there are some verses, for example, that say that encourage Muslims that go forth and fight them, right? Mm. They, they, and and it's what, what, what people like ISIS and terrorists do is they take that verse which says, you know, you should go and fight the, these disbelievers. Mm. And they say, well, you see, we have to fight all the non-Muslims, right? right? But they don't look at the fact that it's a verse which is contextual. And right. the very next verse says, but if they don't fight you, then you have no, no permission to fight them. Right. If they ask for peace, you must make peace with them. Mm. Right. right. So what they're doing is they're taking their particular interpretation, forcing it upon that verse, mm. which has to be seen in the context of its time, and then making it contradict a principle that's given, which is there is no compulsion in religion. Right. So the Quran is both a literal and a metaphorical book, but like every good document, any good contract you come across, it has a section called interpretation. How do you interpret this contract? Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. Even in a contract of getting a, you know, a, a tenancy agreement, it means you know, it says the landlord refers to this person, the tenant refers to this person, right? Yeah. right? Yeah. So the Quran does that. Okay. It tells you right at the beginning, chapter three, it tells you yeah. this book has these kinds of things. If you're the per- these are the terms. If you're perverse, you'll make contradiction in this book. Mm. If you're not perverse, you'll understand everything in consonance with each other. Right. And so um, there's a kind of, I've thought about this, about the Bible and about people saying it's the inerrant word of God. And, and it's kind of maybe a, a her- heretical statement in my own faith to say that, like, uh, uh, if there is no subjectivity at all, if there's nothing open to interpretation, um, then there can't be any more word from God. It's a dead book, you know. Yep. Um, so, I mean, I, th- I think the, the best of Christian theology does do that as well, where it says, uh, um, and I, I'm not defending Christian theology specifically, but where it just, you know, um, people want to take a certain verse in a certain way, but it says, no, no, here's, a, here's another verse. And so we have to kind of view the whole thing together. So I guess there's kind of a, I, I like the idea of uh, subjectivity is not exactly even the word, just uh, narrative has this, um, like narrative has this quality of having embedded truth that can be revealed through, like through time and with understanding and with deeper deeper yeah. reflection and it's not exactly sub- subjective i think it's just that uh, interested in your thoughts on this but that that anything that's presented as a narrative kind of has um can have more in it when you when you approach it with the the right spirit um yeah, yeah. i i 100 agree and you know people often ask for example um you know atheists i've been in conversation with will say well what was the need for god to give this story you know mm. Or what's the value in this in this story? Why didn't wouldn't it have been better if God had, you know, given us all of the equations to how to discover the Higgs field, or right. yeah. Planck's constant? Yeah. 
And it's like, no, it wouldn't, because that wouldn't actually result in the end, end goal, which is the perfection of your morals and your spiritual right. character. Mm. You know, knowing, knowing the equation of the Planck constant is irrelevant right. you know, you know, to yeah. actually developing yourself as a human being. And so you know, the reason why God gives these stories, I think, is twofold. One, because um, it can, a story can convey an enormous amount of information. Mm. right and it can tell a message to a person who's a complete and utter simpleton yeah right and it can also tell a message to the greatest philosopher who's ever lived right and they all get different levels out of it Mm -hmm. but but everybody gets something yeah if you have equations to the higgs field the only people who would get anything would be physicists in the 21st century right 20th century the the 12th century caravan trader right the ninth century merchant is not get anything from that book and this is something that came up in our we released a clip today which was um, a discussion with uh, two ex-muslims then atheists ali rizvi and armin nabavi mm-hmm. um on there's a verse of the quran that says that describes the big bang in our view right it says so it's, it describes the creation of the universe and god says do not the disbelievers see right so this is addressing non-muslims implying that they're the ones going to be who are going to be discovering this mm. do not the disbelievers see that the heavens and the earth were a closed up mass and then we clove it asunder and we clove them asunder and mm. from water did we from water did we create every living thing right you know so to us that means the universe was a homogeneous mass which was cloven asunder and then everything created out of that and god created everything living thing, living mm. thing from water and we say well look you know a seventh century arab merchant could not have known this Right, and their argument was, well, couldn't he have described the universe better than by calling it heaven and earth? Yeah, well, and it's like, well, not if, not you if you're revelation. Sorry, keep going. Well, 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 not if you're a twelfth-century Persian, you know, right? Yeah, goat herder. <laughs> yeah, if, it would have been you, ignored. It would have been completely yeah. ignored and put aside. Okay, we don't know what that's talking about. So, <laughs> what's the purpose? Yeah, exactly. So it would have no meaning for them. Right. The only question I asked them, and what I said to them was, "Do you understand heaven and earth to revert to the universe?" And mm. they said, "Yes." I said, "Well, then, then the job is done. <laughs> then the job is done. It right. conveyed the necessary information, which is the universe was a single mass and it covered asunder." Rupert yeah. Sheldrake said something on your in your interview with him that I hadn't had never twigged in my mind before. I've watched it more than once, and uh, he said that at the beginning of his scientific career, uh, he let's see how how would I put it? Um, oh, I wish I'd written it down. Like basically, he was he was basically saying at the beginning of his scientific career, he had the um, the principles and the philosophy first and then went on with the practice of it and in his religious um in his religious uh life he had the practices first and then and then he went on to the belief yeah uh later and i i think that kind of it jumped out at me. It seems like such a, it was just a personal part of his personal story, almost like he was saying that was just his experience, but it made me think there is kind of a a sense with science where you do begin and necessarily you begin with the principles and the philosophy of science. You get those thoroughly explained and then you get, um, then you, you move towards further understanding. Uh, so you almost start off at the very beginning with, uh, uh, a, an acceptance of faith in uh, science, like in, in the scientific method. This is such a new idea that I might, uh, forgive me, it might end up being gibberish. But 
Um, with religious faith, and this has been true of me, um, you begin, you move towards something you don't understand. You kind of move in the ways that you can. You try and find a better path, and and you and it's all kind of, it can be rather up in the air until you have that experience of of God. Until you've act, until you actually feel that you've had a subjective experience of God. Um, that. Mm. Um, or maybe you have it first, but you don't, uh, you don't, you haven't internalized all of the philosophy. I, I, I guess it was just, it seemed like at the time, I can't say it now, but it seemed like at the time it was sort of um, accidentally articulating um, how science and, and religion are just different. Um, so, so I would, ag- I would somewhat agree with that. I don't um, even know if I agree with it, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say that, um, both science and religion begin in the same way. Um, the first way the science begins is with observation, mm-hmm. right? And often it's accidental observation, right? Often it's oh, I didn't mm. know, I didn't know, I didn't no- notice that before, right? It was you know penicillin growing in a petri dish. It is, mm. um, uh, you know, the person who invented, for example the the sewing needle and put decided to put the 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 thread in the tip rather than in the bottom Mm. you know he he he, the reason the way he got that idea he was thinking how do i make a sewing because he he was creating a sewing machine it made it was a massive revolution in industrial technology and he was thinking on it thinking on it and he had a dream in which he saw that he was being uh, he had been captured by some cannibals on an island and have you heard of this no it's fascinating yeah, so he's captured by some cannibals on an island and they're about to roast him on the spit and they were jumping up and down around him with their spears and he noted that in the tips of their spears, the hole was at the tip. <laughs> and then he realized while he was in the dream, that's the solution to my problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Or, or it's like Kekulé, the chemist, the, you know, the founder of organic chemistry. You know, mm. How did he think come up the benzene ring? He had a dream in which he saw a snake bite its own tail. And so he realized that actually the structure of benzene is actually that it's a, it's a, uh, it's a ring structure. Amazing. And that's, that's how organic chemistry is born. Right. So science doesn't always follow um, uh, principles first. I'd say it begins with observation and then you, you get the principles through justification. Mm. You justify the, the observation. Right. Um, you know, so Isaac Newton saw the apple fall or he right. didn't actually, but you know, he imagined the apple falling and then he was like, what the hell caused that? What, what, how did that happen? Mm. So there's a bit of both. Some science progresses because you have a principle, like, like uh, I'd say, for example, a lot of um, theoretical physics, it begins with an idea or mathematical equation that seems to make sense. It fits the maths and then they go and search for the experimental evidence for it, confirm it, mm. right? So the, the Higgs boson is a good example of that. Um, religious belief, I think, begins often with an observation. And it is the observation of the world around us. And it begins with like, well, how the hell did all of this come about through a random process? Because if I, you know, leave my kitchen to my three-year-old, they don't produce Jamie Oliver's latest recipe. Mm. Okay. It takes a lot of time, expertise, and craftsmanship Mm. to get anything in my experience. So Mm. how on earth did we get photosynthesis? How on earth did we get chlorophyll? Mm. How on earth did we get mitochondria, et cetera? Often Mm. begins with observation. Right. Um, Another massive, I think one of the, probably the biggest driver of belief or disbelief 
in God. The key difference between atheists and believers, other than the thing about accountability, is that uh, a person who believes in God will hear somebody say, and is the person who makes the claim could be named Muhammad, it could be Moses, could be Jesus. The person says, God has communicated with me. Right? God has told me this, 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 this. You should live your lives like this, and then God will communicate with you. A believer hears that and says, I don't think he's insane, and I don't think he's lying, so I believe him. Mm-hmm. In other words, he trusts him. Right. A, dis- a person who re- rejects an atheist will say, I think you're a liar, or I think you're crazy. Mm. And that is the key difference, is one of trust. Are you the person who would rather trust somebody or rather regard them and, or think ill of them. Mm. And this is why the founder of our community, he said that everything in religion, everything in religion is underpinned by thinking well of people. Mm. That is the fundamental core philosophy right. of religious belief, which is assumption that people are, are, are decent. Right. Well, it does, speak to, it does speak to my reasoning for having this podcast because I had a suspicion that has so far proven true that if someone gave me the impression uh, that they were seeking, that they were a true seeker of some kind, that I could find uh, the good in, uh, not, not that it's me, I don't make the good in what they're saying, but, but through really trying to listen and connect with people that, that I could find the good and the decency in people that you can kind of recognize it, even when it takes many different cultural, uh, yeah. cultural guises. And, and so I guess I'll ask my, my last question, um, which um, is, let's see if I can phrase it as a question, but my suspicion has been that um, there's an intuitive, um, that religion has a strongly intuitive um, element to it. Yeah. Um, like uh, you can kind of, uh, maybe, maybe that's, I mean, intuition is, is intrinsically a part of science as well, especially in you know, forming hypotheses and deciding what to, what to search for. But um, it feels to me like, um, belief in an actual God um, will always be, you, you were saying, you know, the result of an observation. Um, and and I, I feel like it's, it's, it, it's the result of an intuition uh, yeah. based on an observation and that there'll always be uh, a kind of a mysterious, well, definitely a mysterious quality to it. Um, and, and, and it does seem to me as though um, there is um an unspoken war against intuition happening in, in the world in some, in some corners. And so I wonder if, if you, if you share that uh, idea or if that means anything to you. Yeah. So, I mean, from the, uh, from the religious perspective, theological perspective, there is the, um, the, the Quran states that um, God has implanted in every human being, in every soul, um, a recognition that he exists. Mm. So there's a verse in the Quran that says, and remember the day when Allah addressed the souls and asked, am I not your Lord? And they said, yes, indeed. And he said, I, I, we did this so that you should not say that, sorry, I did this so that you should not say uh, we were unaware, mm. right? So in other words, um, it's, it's saying that implanted within every soul, God has, has, has they intrinsically know that they do have a creator. Mm. Um, and I think this manifests itself with the, with the actual the progress and the pace of material progress in this age of ours is extraordinary such that a person who lives an average life in most of the world lives better than the kings of past ages 
mm. think we can comfortably say that mm. right um and yet the dissatisfaction that we have is still there mm. and then the, the the empty void i mean pascal said it he said you know every human being has a god-shaped hole in his heart right and it doesn't matter what they try to fill it with it's still god-shaped <laughs> yeah yeah and and you know you see this i was reminded of this i I'm, i've been watching the netflix series the crown recently mm-hmm. and um there's a bit in that where prince philip you know reaches he's a prince philip he's the husband of the current queen of england and he reaches middle age and he's dissatisfied with him basically sort of a midlife crisis mm. and it's so well written and mm-hmm. it really moved me actually that there are so many people who are kind of seeking that they're seeking God and they can't, they don't even know it. And again, I come back to this book, every, every answer I think there is possible really in principle is in a way given in the philosophy of the teachings of Islam, uh, that book I read and he wrote, he has the whole chapter called, on this very topic. It's called the search for God. And he says that, um, let's see if I can remember it. I had memorized it once, but just by reading it so often, mm. he says that, he says that whether it be the sound of a musical voice or the love of your wife or the love of your children, uh, that these things are all indications of the search for the true beloved. Mm. And so he says that just as man cannot detect um, through, uh, just because as man cannot detect um, that imperceptible God um, easily through his material phenomena, um, I'm paraphrasing now, through mm. material phenomena, um, he has been misled grievously in his search for God, uh, such that every single thing he comes across in his life um, he looks for God in that thing, mm. right? And I think that that actually is a perfect, perfect, and he says it, it is as if you've lost something, the name of which you have forgotten and which you seek to find in everything you come across. That's what he says. Right. Right? Yeah. Which is a, such a poetical way of saying it. You, it's like you yeah. remember something, but you can't remember the name of it. And you're like, is this the thing? Is this the thing? Is this the thing? You right. go to your wife, you go to your children, yeah. you go to your career, you go to your health. People become yeah. obsessed with fitness. Yeah. They're all they're all seeking God. Right. What they're doing is they're all seeking permanence. And yeah. that's the that is the deepest intuition in human beings that ultimately they are faced with death and the void of death. Yeah. And they're terrified of it and right. they're seeking permanence. Right. Right? And that See. can be your that could be your psychopathic, you know, president, okay? Okay. Or it could be your or it could be, you know, your um your fitness obsessed gym worker right Right. yeah so so they're all seeking god in their own way and that i think is the the most important intuition and there is a war against that insofar as um we're told that it doesn't exist right we're told that you should be satisfied with um materialism and the enjoyment of material abundance but people aren't yeah and the 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 dangerous part of it to me um, is uh, this, this took me a long time to kind of realize, and I'm not as, um, I'm not as interested in, uh, atheists as I used to be, or the idea of debating. And it's because it's not, um, it's not the idea that you don't believe in God that, um, is scary or, or, or that, that is, is sort of detrimental to you. It's the idea that you must never, uh, you know, or that it's, it's telling yourself, what you can't believe before you before you understand it and so in other words a person who is an atheist a person who is an atheist who is seeking the love you talk about between the you know 
themselves and their family between, you know, who is looking for the, the beauty in a musical voice. Um, that person is still experiencing God. They, they have not necessarily, by their lack of belief, they have not necessarily tyrannized their mind. They haven't mm. oppressed their own thinking. Um, and I've realized that about some of my own beliefs that I, uh, despite my best efforts, kind of didn't believe them. Um, but for some of them, I have a desire to believe them. And for some of them, I, I feel that uh, I may never. But I guess, I guess what I'm just trying to say is that, that um, I don't like to, to look at a, a, an atheist as, as my enemy. I know you're not saying that they are by any means, because I don't know where I, I, I don't know where I stand on this, but um, someone who is willing to, to say what they will never believe and what they must not believe at all costs uh, when it comes to the existence of God, that it, it's the, it's the very fact that they're willing to do that or that they're, that they're compelled to do that and then compelled to get someone else to do that. That makes me uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I would say, that, I mean, my closest um, non-Muslim friend, who's actually probably one of my absolute closest friends, um, is an atheist, and mm. his his wife is a is 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 I'd say a hardened atheist, mm. um, and I'm good friends with them because they're good people. Um, they're lovely people, and I love spending time with them, um, mm. and so I've developed a great affection for both of them. So I do, however, feel that. Um, I understand what you mean. It's not tyrannizing your your mind to reject. But I I actually think it is, because what yeah. you've done is you've cut a, you've cut asunder. So so the first thing I'd say is that I don't think many atheists would ever say that they will never believe in God. Right. I okay. think you know most atheists would say, yeah. you "Present me the decent enough evidence, yeah. I will believe in God." Fair enough. Um, but I I don't think they have necessarily the full self awareness. Um, so for example, Richard Dawkins was asked this question. He was asked, "Well." you know, because um, he classifies himself as an agnostic atheist. Mm. And he was asked, well, what would it take to make you to believe in God? And he said, well, I used to think to myself that if, you know, uh, God was to spell out in the clouds, hi, Richard, it's me, God, or something like that, then I would believe. But he said, then I was convinced by a friend of mine that actually if you were to see that, you would more likely think it was a hallucination mm. and that you were actually having a hallucinatory experience. Mm. And so he said, by that virtue, I've come to the realization that almost nothing would make me believe in God. Hmm. And that's an unfalsifiable belief, an unscientific belief. Right. And it's funny because the Quran talks about that. It says that right. even if the, it says that God says that even if I was to cause the disbelievers to ascend into heaven and they were to witness heaven themselves and hell themselves yeah. and all the phenomena, they would only say our eyes are bewitched. Right. Yeah, there's a right? similar, there's similar things in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's true. Like, and, and so I, I, I didn't mean to be making statements about, uh, categorical statements about, uh, atheists and, and um, but, uh, I guess, um, my encouragement for anybody would just be to, um, to listen to that voice of intuition, um, and not to stress about feeling that they have to believe in God or that they have to not believe in God. Um, yeah. that, that when you're yes. talking about an ultimate, an ultimate reality and, and theoretically the source of, of love and compassion, um, that you follow, you follow the spring, you know, you, you follow this, 
when you find a trickle, you follow it to where it began. Yes. And, and, um, and they may never believe in God, but they may do wonderful things uh, in, that, in that search. So anyway, that, I, I, um, I appreciate your perspective on that. I think we actually are, are in, in agreement there. But, yes, absolutely. So we're at, uh, we're at an hour and a half, which went by like, like that. Um, <laughs> I've really appreciated this conversation to hear. No, thank you, Aaron. I, you know, I've really enjoyed myself, actually. Yeah, I'm. I'm so glad. And and uh, what you were saying earlier, you were. Um, it, it does feel to me that there is a um, there's a, a wonderful thing that happens um, when you. I guess this is this is about um, how I try to approach uh, people um, as though anyone I speak to um, disagreement is going to be only present to find. Uh, to find wisdom or to refine. And, and that's how I felt this conversation has been for me. So very refreshing and I appreciate that. Um, I encourage everybody listening to this to check out Rational Religion. Um, I was drawn in through David Berlinski's interview and through um, uh, Rupert Sheldrake. Berlinski is such a nut, I love him. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> he, I love the cane and everything. That whole interview is, even the way you guys are sitting is so, I know. Like, we will, start we will with like that one. We we were like um, we were like you know you know Mr. Belinsky. Do you think we could do it like position it here and you could sit here? And he's like, he was like, no, nah, I want to sit on the couch. <laughs> and, uh, and you oh, two man. Sit, you two should sit there. We were like, there's not much space. To, and then my brother was like, dude, it's his house. You know, yeah. like, you're gonna do what he says. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, no, I I thought I thought that added a, an amazing kind of. Uh, <laughs> awkwardness to it but in a in a cool way so that was what started me i'm not i'm not officially um uh promoting david berlinski other than that he is a compelling figure like if you listen to him yeah. with an open open mind you're going to learn something or think something new but anyway you'll, you'll at least one you'll at least learn some new words exactly yeah what a <laughs> what an interesting fellow i'd love to interview him and rupert sheldrake he's one of my he's one of my top uh, yeah. top desires to interview because he's so interesting. So there's that. And then there's all kinds of things you guys have about um, uh, all kinds of different religious things. Very interesting. So um, I encourage my listeners who are far fewer than yours to, to check you out rational religion. You keep, you keep going the way you're going. I think you'll have loads in, in good time. Because, oh uh, yeah, no, I absolutely do. And I, and I hope so, because, you know, you have such a open mind and a kind of welcoming perspective and, you know, I've really enjoyed this interview. Actually, it's been uh, it's been amazing. Actually, I've really enjoyed myself, and um, you actually genuinely listen, which is a rare thing, I think. Um, oh, so, yes. so I, I I really enjoyed myself, and I yeah. you know we 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 started four years ago, and we haven't we're not huge, we're mm. moderately sized. Um, some would say small. Um, mm. We've managed to punch above our weight with our guests. Yeah, um, I think. Me too. And, yeah, absolutely. With absolutely. you? No, 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 not with me. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, no. <laughs> no, no, because at the end of the day, you know, I personally think that uh, people will be uh, drawn to the honesty in what you have to say. Mm. Um, and sometimes these things just take time, but I have no doubt you'll be, you know, next Joe Rogan, who knows? <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And with that, oh my goodness. I hope so. I hope um, so. Well, I, I, I wish the best for yours and I will continue to, uh, to add to your watch, your watch count uh, on a personal level. So, um, and it's so great to meet you. Um, and maybe in a year we could, uh, we could chat again about fatherhood. 
I was about to say, you know, you know, if ever you want me back on the show, I'm very happy to be so, to do so. Thank you. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd, I'd actually love to get your perspective on fatherhood, and I might okay. intentionally I wait to. a little while um, uh, so, to, to, so you can get through a few more phases of it and, and get some more <laughs> sleep. No, um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, and with Perfect. that, I will say uh, farewell. Thank you. Have very a much. great evening. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks to hear. Peace be on you.